You're listening to the Inner Child Podcast. You might have heard about attachment styles on the podcast in the media, and maybe you know that you are anxiously attached or avoidantly attached or somewhere in the middle, but you don't really understand it. And it's kind of hard to understand people with different attachment styles than you. For example, are you born with them? How do we get them? And what is it like being someone with anxious or avoidant or disorganized attachment style? In this episode, I am going to break this down in a way that you have never thought about attachment styles before. And I hope this helps someone that you think would benefit a lot from understanding what their attachment style is right after this intro. Hi, I'm Gloria Zhang, and after 10 years of struggling in toxic relationships, I attracted the love of my life by healing my inner child. This podcast is your weekly dose of my expertise as a therapist and dating relationship coach for high achievers. Learn tips to overcome low self-worth, emotional baggage, and childhood trauma so that you too can step into your power and attract the love you desire. Welcome to the Inner Child Podcast. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Inner Child Podcast. It's me, your big sis, Gloria Zhang. And today we have an episode on helping you understand WTF attachment styles actually are. So maybe you are more of an anxious type of person and you have a really hard time understanding your partner that tends to withdraw and shut down. And you just can't understand why they're like that. Or maybe it's the reverse. Maybe you are the avoidant type of person and you just get so bothered and annoyed when people try to get too close to you. And you know that there's something off here, but you can't quite understand why they are like that and you are like you. Now, I'm going to mention that the last few episodes have been a little bit heavy, you know, and sometimes the seriousness is important when doing this trauma work. But this is the inner child podcast and the inner child doesn't feel so serious all the time. Unless you follow me on Instagram, you won't know this, but my personality is only serious maybe, you know, 30% of the time. And I just want to breathe some life into the show as we grow into our second and third year. So that is why today's breakdown of anxious versus avoidant attachment styles is not necessarily from the academic textbook perspective. There are hundreds of articles online that you can Google and find that there. But I want to peel away those layers and talk about this from a human-to-human perspective, and with a little bit of fun. Now, just so you guys can feel assured that I do know what I'm talking about, before I became a coach, I was a therapist, and before I was a therapist, I was a children's therapist. In fact, that is where it all started for me. My first job ever was a research assistant at Sick Kids Hospital in Toronto, where I worked in the anxiety ward. And then I moved on to working at government agencies and family centers for kids who were going through a lot of trouble. And the age zero to eight was sort of my specialty. I worked with a lot of children within the first eight years of their life. 
Now, one of the cool things that I got to experience in my career was that I had the opportunity to get trained at coding play behavior. Coding play behavior, what that means is that I learned how to watch like a five minute video clip of a baby playing with its parent. And based on just those five minutes of behavior and watching every little thing that they're doing, I could predict with over 90% accuracy what that kid's attachment style was going to become. And the videos that we were trained on was based on actual studies where they followed the child across the span of 10, 20 years to verify what their attachment style actually was. And so many of these were old videos, obviously, because it was a very long-term study. And so I've watched hours and hours of just this little room of kids playing with their parents and their mom and their dad, and I got really good at it. And so that is why my understanding of attachment styles is based on actual videos of people. I didn't just learn it from the textbooks. And it was the small things. It was things like how long eye contact the parents held, how much distance was between the baby and the parent when they were playing together. And even things like how often you crossed your arms, right? You know, was it a real smile or a fake smile? All of these tiny little movements were things that children actually picked up on to learn if they felt seen and safe and validated in their parents' presence. And although I don't work in that kind of job anymore, and it was absolutely fascinating, everything I learned from that I've included in my work and all my programs, and this will forever be a part of how I help people and understand attachment styles. So let's dive in. And first, we want to talk about love and connection. Love and connection is considered a basic human need. Babies will actually die when they are not physically held after birth. It's a real thing. You can look it up. That's how much we are wired to need human connection because we are social creatures inherently. And when things go wrong, when children do not get their needs met, that is where the core wounds start. And if you want to dig into core wounds even more, I actually have a free ebook. It's called The Free Guide to Healing Your Inner Child, which talks about how to heal the four different core wounds. You can go on my website, bygloriazang.com slash guide, or it's in one of the show notes below. It's a really good resource. But when children do not get their needs met, they will do anything in their power. They will strategize to do things that they don't even want to in order to survive. And that is what we called trauma. Now, since a lot of you here feel a little bit too close to home with love and connection, we're going to substitute that need for a different need just for the sake of this example. Let's say water, right? Water is also one of the basic needs on the chart of human needs. And let's say just for fun, we're going to use little five-year-old Jimmy as our example for today. Let's say Jimmy is this cute five-year-old kid and he knows that to get his water needs met, he's got to drink from the sippy cup. But one day he goes to a particular sippy cup and as he's leaning over to take a sip of water, bam, the sippy cup slaps him across the face. He's startled, he puts it down, tries again, bam, right over the noggin. What he's learning right now is that the very thing that he needs is also the thing that is causing him pain. 
And pain is a huge motivator, right? How confusing is it that you need something, but it's also causing you harm, but you still need that thing? It creates a predicament for poor little Jimmy. Now, when we are in this kind of predicament of I need this, but it also hurts me, there's only two ways that we can approach it. We can either move towards it or we move away from it. That's all the options that we think we have. Of course, there is a third option, which is inner child healing, but we'll get to that later. Now, when you move towards it, it means you fight for what you need. You protest, you obsess over it, you try to control it, and sometimes literally try to fight that thing. And when you're moving away from, it's when you convince yourself that you don't actually need it that much and you shut yourself down. You keep it at arm's length, knowing that that's dangerous. You go over there. I'm going to stay over here where I'm safe. Now, how does Jimmy end up becoming one way or the other? How does he end up leaning more towards anxious or avoidant? Now, some of it does have to do with the way that you're raised. Everyone learns best through example, through role model. So if your mom or dad tends to be more anxious or avoidant, as a child, you may see that and you may mimic that behavior as a way of learning. If mom ends up fighting her sippy cup and obsessing over her sippy cup, little Jimmy is watching that and he starts to do the same thing, right? He starts to copy his mom. And so the generational piece is, of course, really important. But sometimes it's not always about that because when your needs are not met, you become very, very desperate and your body starts to act on its own. It starts strategizing and trying all of these different ways to get these needs met without you getting hurt. And so a child will start to try things. It will attempt to fight for it, and it might also attempt to shut itself down. And the way that they are responded to will dictate which direction they tend to go. So let's say that Jimmy tries to move towards the sippy cup grabs that thing and he says, give me the water. He shakes it. He obsesses over it. Right? He keeps it in the corner of its eye and he rips the thing off and dumps all the water into his mouth, right? He won. And so what that is teaching him is, huh, that's interesting. When I fight and obsess over this thing, sometimes I can get a sip of water without getting slapped in the face. So maybe if I continue behaving this way, I have a higher likelihood of getting what I want. And that is how you develop a anxious attachment style, just based on the feedback. On the other hand, if Jemmy says, this is too much, like I'm too overwhelmed, I'm just going to shut down. Maybe I don't need water. Maybe I'll try the milk over here. And he walks two meters away and sits down and goes, huh, that's interesting. When I keep myself at arm's distance, I don't get slapped in the face, which means if I continue keeping a distance from scary things, it means that I'm not going to get hurt, even if it means I'm going to be really, really thirsty, but at least I'm not getting slapped in the face. And that's how he learns to develop an avoidant attachment style. Guys, I just listened to what I recorded and it sounds so ridiculous. <laughs> I don't know if I've had too much coffee to drink today or something, but I didn't think that example was going to go that far. So to any parents 
who use sippy cups, I apologize. But let's just roll with this since it's too late at this point and this episode is going to go out no matter what. Now, the third one is the disorganized attachment style. And that is the fun one that I used to have growing up. Now, when you develop a disorganized attachment style, what it actually means is that neither strategy makes you feel safe, right? So with anxious attachment, sometimes becoming anxious does get you what you need. And for avoidant, becoming avoidant makes you feel better. But if you are a disorganized, attached person, nothing you try makes you feel better. You just always feel in agony and unsafe. So an example of how this would develop is if Jimmy tries to fight the sippy cup and he attempts to throw the sippy cup away, but he always gets slapped in the face anyway. Nothing is working. And so he just loses it. He goes back and forth and back and forth between fighting it and kicking it and fighting it and kicking it almost like desperately seeking a solution and then collapsing. Now, the collapsing is a very important point. So back when I was doing the coding stuff that I told you about, I would also watch these videos in my supervision groups. And one of the things that we always talked about is that anytime there was a child with disorganized attachment, something would always happen. They would be in a room playing with their parent and their parent would leave, right? And obviously they're about to feel very upset because their mom is leaving. And instead of crying or running around, these disorganized children would just collapse onto the ground. Like literally this child would just fall onto the ground like a leaf or something. And it was because they have no strategy to deal with the fear that they were feeling with mom leaving the room. And they just fall, right? Like, oh, giving up, just falling. And it was really heartbreaking to see. And the image of those children really stuck with me as I've moved through my career. And later on, I realized that adults do the same thing because that's what I had done too. When I was a kid, Sometimes I would get really anxious with my parents. Sometimes I would shut down, but it never stopped the bad things from happening. And so it basically taught me that nothing worked. And even as an adult, when I would feel very triggered in relationships, sometimes I would feel really intense and other times I would just collapse. Like I just fall into a deep depression nap or literally like read a text message and then just collapse onto the ground or onto my couch. So now that we've used this sippy cup analogy, which was terrible and I'm never going to use this again or look at sippy cups the same way, we're simply going to apply that to relationships. So babies and children and adults need relationships and love and connection. And if that love and connection also comes with a lot of pain or suffering or you can't seem to get it, you will go to extreme lengths to try to get those needs met in some shape or form. That's why there's a saying that for children, any attention is good attention. Children will literally become class clowns and misbehave for even a smidge of adult attention because in their mind, it's better than no attention at all. And so if being anxiously attached has worked for you in the past, so for example, if you miss your boyfriend and then you text him a hundred times, and then he replies. The fact that he replied reinforces that behavior, saying, oh, something worked, right? I did all this outrageous behavior, and he actually responded to something. 
and it enables you to continue that behavior. Same if you're avoidant. If you break off every relationship before things get serious and you think, huh, they didn't dump me. I'm good, right? I feel more comfortable being the dumper. That reinforces the behavior. But of course, everything comes with a cost. You might be safe, but you're sure not getting the connection that you actually want. Same thing with people who are anxiously attached. You might get that person to respond, but that's not actually really satisfying, right? Because you're not happy in the relationship and you start to question, does that person actually want to be with me or is it because I have scared them into staying? And that is where the healing is going to start. Healing your inner child and becoming secure, which I am now, is unlearning all the stories that every sippy cup is bad and discovering that, huh, this other sippy cup doesn't slap me in the face or I can also drink water out of a cup or like a bottle or something. Maybe they're not the same. And instead of moving towards or running away from, securely attached means staying present, staying put exactly where you are, sitting with it. And processing and working through those emotions instead of trying to get rid of the bad feelings. Combined with being selective and intentional about where you are receiving the water from. And when you heal, oh my goodness, your life just completely changes. You feel like you can actually be yourself. You feel like you are actually finally in control of your life instead of just reacting to everything, you know, like when you are constantly in reaction and doing things that you don't mean and saying things that don't feel like you, it feels like you're not really a person. It feels like you're an inanimate object just going off. It's almost like you're one of those motion detector sensors. Like anytime someone moves in front of you, like boop, you know, something happens, like you shoot a light out or something. It's like you're not even sentient or something, you know? And when you do this work, wow, when you do this work, you get to choose how to respond. You get to increase that gap of time between the trigger and the response, which takes practice and it's not an overnight time. And this is why the minimum amount of time to work with me is about six months, right? Because anything less is just scratching the surface. It takes time for even your neurons to develop new patterns for it to become more permanent. So go easy on yourself. Now, I was talking to a client recently about something she had noticed about her own avoidant behavior. She realized that whenever she started to feel too vulnerable or too afraid, she would start thinking that there's something wrong with the relationship. In other words, thinking that there's something wrong was an avoidant trait. And she was really scared. And she thought, oh my gosh, does this mean that I'm always going to think that everything is wrong, that nothing's ever going to feel good enough for me? And she was starting to spiral down this narrative. And I pulled her back and said, no, 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 hold on, wait. We can go there, you know, if, if you really want to. But how about we step back and maybe see what's really going on? Because narratives we tell ourselves can be very deceiving. They trick us, right, into thinking a different kind of way. But what I proposed to her was that every time you think something's wrong, that's not the problem, that is the symptom. It's sort of like when you cough, 
right? The coughing isn't the problem. It's a symptom that you have a virus infection or something. The thought isn't the problem. It's a symptom that something is activating your avoidant attachment style. And she thought about that and she went, whoa, <laughs> like that just took a huge weight off of her shoulders because it didn't mean that everything was destined for doom and gloom. Now, the way I work with avoidant people is a little bit different than with anxious people. The bottom line work is the same. It's about becoming more tolerant to the eruptive emotions that cause these self-sabotaging behaviors. But the way we approach it has to be different, right? Because avoidant and anxious people have different dispositions and different types of patterns. With avoidant people, it's about staying in this discomfort without cutting it off. And with anxious people, it's about staying in the discomfort without moving forward too quickly, right? You see the difference? But the root of it is exactly the same. It's about the emotional regulation piece. So with this particular client, it was learning to trust that the feeling that something is wrong is also a temporary feeling and thought. Whereas in the past, it was like as soon as she had that thought, it was game over. Like there was no point even trying. It's time to pack up my leaves and leave. Goodbye, Jimmy. Right? <laughs> but rather, it was about opening yourself up to the idea that maybe I'm only having this thought because I said something vulnerable. Right? And so this is just an old pattern playing out. But if I continue to stay a little bit longer, and I allow myself to feel the fear. I'm not afraid of the fear. And I allow myself to be present and not feel like I have to act on any urge. Maybe in a couple of weeks, I might think or feel differently. And you know, it's true because our feelings and thoughts on things change all the time, right? When I'm hungry, everything bothers me. I'm like, Andrew, why is the heat on? And why is the coffee at 95 degrees and not 97 degrees, right? Everything feels so bad, but it's because my cup is not filled. Then I go eat a sandwich or something and it's like, oh, <laughs> you know, oh, maybe the coffee's not so bad. Oh, the heat's kind of nice, you know? And the neighbor that was mowing the lawn so loudly, now it's like, huh, how nice that they take care of their lawn, <laughs> The different states that we're in affect the way that we perceive things. And if you are serious about wanting to succeed in relationships, you have to accept the fact that feelings and thoughts change from day to day, and that's normal and it's okay. All right? Call to action number one. If you do want to read more about attachment styles, I recommend the book Attach the New Science of Adult Attachment. I've included a link below. It's written by Amir Levine and Rachel Heller. Now, this book doesn't go way, way deep, but it's a really great introduction to understanding more of these attachment styles. Call to action number two. When you are trying to understand someone else's behavior who operates from a different attachment style, try to see it from the perspective that you are both trying to get the same needs met. But based on your unique experiences, the method of trying to attain that need has had to be different for the two of you. 
And when we see it that way, rather than pitting people against each other, like, oh, avoidance are so different from anxious people, that's not true at all, right? We all have the same needs, but it wasn't always safe for us to go after those needs. And I think that helps to soften our understanding and be more appreciative that people are different. Call to action number three. If you want to learn how to have healthier relationships and stop getting stuck in these toxic dynamics, definitely check out my free workshop, which is called How to Heal Your Child and Attract Healthy Relationships, where I go through my three-step system and where I talk about my Feel, Heal, Attract system, which has been incredibly successful at helping my clients develop secure attachment styles. Go to buygloriazang.com slash workshop to get your free ticket or click on the link in the show notes below. So besties, I hope this was an insightful episode for you, just in terms of not your typical perspective on understanding attachment styles. And of course, if this was helpful, and maybe you have friends that you think need to learn about attachment styles, send them this episode or take a screenshot and tag me on Instagram at ByGloriaZang, and you'll be helping make the world a better place. So that's it for today. I will see you next week again. I hope you have a beautiful day and an abundant life. Bye for now. If you love this episode, please hit subscribe and give us a five-star review. It really helps me a lot. So thank you. To join the community and get your daily dose of inner child tips, follow me on Instagram and social media at ByGloriaZang or visit ByGloriaZang.com. If you're a high achiever or an entrepreneur who wants to work with me, message me the words high achiever and I'll get in touch. Thanks, bestie. See you in the next one. Thanks for tuning in, Bestie. I've got something for you. If you think this show deserves a five-star review, we'll send you my free Inner Child Starter Kit as a thank you for your support, which contains exclusive wallpapers and resources for you to download. To get your kit, just upload a screenshot of your review on Apple or Spotify to my webpage, bygloriazang.com slash reviews. The link is also in the show notes. There you can also check out my healing sessions and programs at bygloriazang.com. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and I will meet you in the next episode. Mwah!